Real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Sess Show. I'm your host, Tori. So today is October 24th, 2019. Gosh, isn't it insane how, um, I would say, um, slow this week is. It's still Thursday. It's like it was Thursday two days ago because it's been so busy. So many things are happening. So many things are manifesting. But it's not just here. It's globally. Globally. We have protests everywhere. We have people challenging the fake, the fake elections, the, the, the Gestapo, the communists that have all planned. They have this great plan in the end. And through that timeline, I can tell you that looks like devastation. It looks like the Hunger Games coming to life, but with no, you know, girl with a fire dress. It is bleak. It is horrific. But we're winning. We're winning because many people had seen that timeline pan out. Many people have predicted or seen and come back to stop what was to come you know <laughs> it's pretty incredible you know one would think with all this it's it's as if you know have you guys seen that tv show that used to be on on sci-fi i think called 12 monkeys it was a spin-off the um, the movie 12 monkeys where you know it's it's super highly complex but it's interesting because it was people way way in the future coming back to the past to stop from a plague um, moving forward and changing the world as it is because time was going to collapse on itself or some some other thing. The point is there are times in history where there is a point of no return once you pass that point. And uh, we've come to that point many times only to magically get extensions um, extensions into propelling into different, uh, type of scenarios and outcomes. Extensions because what was set in stone has been avoided. And people might say, well, that could be like that movie. Is it called Final Destination, you guys? Where someone was supposed to die, but they didn't die. So then they were constantly almost dying until they actually died because they should have died. You know, you have to wonder, does that really work or do we really change things? Uh, you know, do we really change things when those sliding doors come and you make that choice? Does it really change? That's the question we have to ask. Does it really change? And it does, I believe, because timelines and possibilities of things and outcomes minimize. And as those minimize, they eradicate the farther you get away from that sliding door that you did not enter. So right now we find ourselves coming to the end of 2020, coming up to the elections of 2020, presidential elections of 2020, with candidates that are riddled in corruption. Sans Yang, who's pretty much just China owned and that's it. And, um, you know, the safest, I would say, okay, not a hundred percent. The safest, I would say, wild card. In any case, something went crazy, right? Because he's just not that smart. But here's the problem. Like the Ukraine, like many times before, the person may not be that smart, maybe book smart, maybe academically smart, maybe whatever smart, but they're not connected mobster deep state type smart. They're not connected. 
you know, uh, one piece of advice I was given as a child by someone very important, mind you, very important, not in the public scene, but it was just a chance conversation on a train in New York where my mother just kind of, I don't know if she even noticed. She was probably thinking, why is she talking to that stranger? Someone that is um, infamous. And I had a Game Boy in my hand and playing and I, and he was like, you like that game? I was like, yeah, I want to beat my friend or else I'm not going to be her friend because she's so much better than me and I don't need people like that in my life. He said, what? You need people that challenge you in your life. But listen to me carefully. Life is not about how smart you are, how good you are at the game or anything. It's about connections. You make sure you have everybody's business card and you make a Rolodex really, really big. Because you never know when you need to pluck a name out of there. And so that friend of yours, you don't want to stop that friendship because she's better than you or he's better than you at the game. You want to keep them closer to you because they are better than you and they're smarter than you in something. So you can use them at some point. Best advice ever gotten. Especially when you interact with people that you know a certain version of. So like, for example, if you're interacting with someone, and I hope you guys are understanding where I'm going with this. So if you're interacting with someone, like for example, I make it no secret that I've interacted with John Brennan many times in my life. I know a version of John Brennan that not a lot of people know, right? Because it was his interaction with me, okay? So I know something about John Brennan somebody else doesn't know. Maybe how he takes his coffee, like what he really likes, what kind of special cookie he likes to eat, or how he ties his shoes, something that somebody else may not know because that's a specific one-to-one interaction. And through our interactions, we learn about other people, okay? So what we're seeing now is that people are awakening to the fact of applying these interactions and this knowledge of connections. There's always someone around you that knows someone else, that knows, have you ever heard? Uh, I always say this too. I'm pretty sure everybody else does. Someone's like, yo, um, can you do this or find someone? Can you do this or help me with this? And you're like, well, I may not be able to, but I know someone who may know someone who may know someone who may know someone, right? That's how it goes. So think about it this way. When you're the president of the United States, they used to be top dog and the apprentice that met with people from all walks of life, right? There's a lot of interactions there. That went to parties and drank so he could remember what they did when they were high or drunk. That's a lot of interactions right there. The one that went to parties and dinners, like uh, White House correspondence meetings, lots of interactions right there too. Grand openings, ribbon cuttings, donation parties, campaign fundraisers, uh, movie screenings, private movie screenings, private music screenings, weddings, baptisms, funerals, lots of interactions right there. 
So smart people, I would say emotionally intelligent people, understand that every interaction they have with someone, you hold on to things that are important at the time. Like you may think that when you meet me, it's important to remember how um, my glasses are always dirty. (laughs) I'm just saying they totally are fingerprints and everything like my gosh. So there's little things that you may know about me that someone else may not know about me. So what if you had this room, right? Let's take me for example. And you had 20 people in there that have all interacted with me at some point in time, either as friends, co-workers, passing, my barista, my, you know, oil changing, you know, for my car or um, my editor or anything. And they all get in a room and they discuss me. Every single one of them will have their own point of view and then it comes together and it creates this profile, right? And the more interaction someone has had with me, the more information they have about me. So when you see our president say something, mention something, make a statement or ask a question, you have to think to yourself, How many people does he sit with on a daily basis that have had interactions with XYZ person that he's talking about? How many times has he interacted with these people? Now, the reason I tell you this as an opening is because it's going to be very, very important moving forward. A lot of you are so upset this IG FISA report is going to be not what you expect. You expect it to drop and people to do a perp walk. Gosh, I wish that's the way it goes. But when you realize that this is so deeply embedded into every facet of society, into every every darn person running for office right now has implications. Every person has implications. They're implicated in some shape or form with an entity you don't want or you don't approve of them being implicated in. So what you need to remember is that every single person with their implication Bring something different to the table of this mess. So I'm going to make a statement and you can sit on it, send me emails about it, messages about it, whatever you may know, you can send my way because this is something that I'm about to blow wide open. So I tweeted a picture out the day, a couple of days ago and, and yesterday and today about you know, the Ukraine and how we see McCain and Lindsey Graham. And, you know, we all know Lindsey Graham's corrupt. We all know the only thing he wants to do is get reelected. That's why he's kind of like, oh, I hate Trump, but, oh, I'm with Trump. Oh, and he's backpedaling, right? Forget him. We need to talk about Amy Klobuchar. Guys, can you believe that a guy that works for her that is highly linked with her family 
He's a director of strategy of big companies like the Rothschilds. The name he has, shell companies and shell companies and shell companies, where they've been funneling billions of dollars in arms. Oh, by the way, paid for, but we don't see any distribution. I'm making that statement. I want you to sit on it. Because that's why she was in the Ukraine. I mean, t- you know, you would think John Hoven would be with, you know, Lindsey Graham and with, uh, you know, John McCain because he's he was like a wart on his butt, right? You would think that it would be someone like Blumenthal or or Werner or somebody else that would have been with McCain and with, you know, Lindsey Graham. Lindsey, oh my gosh, you're linked to a company, a shell company in Georgia that's linked to Amy, that's linked to Navy contracts, Navy contracts for arms, for supplies, through a defense contractor. Crazy stuff, you guys. See, they love war, of course, because they fund it. They make money. They create a shell company that's a subcontractor that's been federally approved, federally approved contractor who gets all these contracts. And then that goes to another shell company, to another shell company, to another shell company, to another shell company, and falls in the hands of ISIS, Ukraine, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This is how they make money and you don't see it. This is why they want war and you don't see it. Military industrial complex. Remember, we talked about that. What was it? Six, seven months ago where we had, you know, Eisenhower talking and JFK talking and Reagan talking on the airways as if they were resurrected. Remember, it was the resurrection of old presidents warning us. And now we have our president making the same references about seven months later because people forget. People don't remember People tend to do that, and that makes us feel safe. By forgetting, you feel safe. But I'm going to remind you of something, and I think all of you can pretty much um, get an understanding of where we're going with this. Here we have a corrupt, outspent party. And you know what? To make this idea stick better, I'm going to play a clip a clip from that corrupt Judge Napolitano that was talking about these rules in the basement and all that. I want you to listen to it because he says, as frustrating as it may be to have these hearings going on behind closed doors, they are consistent with the rules. When were the rules written last? In January of 2015. Who signed them? John Bonner. And who enacted them? A Republican majority. Yeah, You know, in 2015, we didn't have two parties. (laughs) The Republicans were the Democrats in Republican clothes. We had a mass amount resign when President Trump was elected. Mass amount not getting re, not going up for re-election, right? Remember Paul Ryan? Did you ever hear of him saying, oh, you know, I'm tired. I want to retire. He's young. He's a young buck, right? minute President Trump comes in, he's like, oh, you know, I'm going to retire. Yeah, you're going to retire. 
because you're going to jail if you don't retire. And we're going to pull that card and embarrass you and you and your whole family if you don't retire. See, because President Trump is like that. He doesn't want to embarrass you unnecessarily, right? Unless you do something really bad like, I don't know, rape kids, kill kids, traffic kids cause harm to American people directly. Now, if you're not involved in child trafficking, human trafficking, or things like that, if you're not that big of a player, but you're just kind of joining in in the party, he might let you bow out with a silent mouth and a smack on the butt. Other than that, he's going to go after you. Now, I want you to listen to this because he's going to tell you that because his Republicans are pushing for more transparency. Napolitano says Republicans did it, and it's like, not really Republicans, were they, guys? <laughs> John McCain, not really a Republican, was he? Take a listen. What I did for you, Kilmeade, I read the House rules. Okay. <laughs> and as frustrating as it may be to have these hearings going on behind closed doors, the hearings over which Congressman Schiff is presiding, they are consistent with the rules. They can make any of the rules they want. Well, they can't change the rules. They follow the rules. And when were the rules written? Last, in January of 2015. And who signed them? John Boehner. And who enacted them? A Republican majority. So, so what do the rules say? The rules say that this level of inquiry, this initial level of mm -hmm. inquiry, can be done in secret. I want to watch it. I am dying to see if John Ratcliffe's cross-examination of Ambassador Taylor was as aggressive and successful as Republicans claim it is. Uh, John Ratcliffe is a serious, a former serious trial lawyer who knows how to cross-examine. We didn't get to see it. So what happened in the Nixon impeachment? My former boss, I was his page in the House of Representatives, Peter Rodino, instead of holding the hearings in secret, interviewed the witnesses in secret, not by the committee, but by the staff. Congressman Henry Hyde, same thing in the Clinton impeachment. Witnesses were interviewed in secret and then presented in public. Congressman Schiff, with a different set of rules, chooses to do the initial set of interviews in secret. Secret evidence doesn't work in this world. So eventually there will be a public presentation of this at which lawyers for the president can cross-examine these people and challenge them. This is like presenting a case to a grand jury, which is never done in uh, in public. So I get it. The Republicans are yeah. frustrated and they wanted to make a point and they made their point. They might have made it. But but this is just the not the most effective way to show uh, uh, respect for what your colleagues are doing. Respect for what your colleagues are doing. OK, now you're going to think, well, Tory, why did the Republicans uh, sign this as a majority in secret in 2015? Like, why would they do that? Did they plan that they were going to impeach President Trump in January 2015? No. Here's why they did it. Because they were sure that there might be, if, if Hillary wins and, you know, comes and becomes president, right? This is what they saw. They foresaw that there will be people demanding her impeachment for her email scandal. Okay. So they made sure to make sure that nobody sees her dirty laundry. This uh, ruling of uh, changing the rules and having things behind closed doors were done for Hillary Clinton. But here's what Judge Napolitano doesn't put out there, is that the people that have the right to be in there, right, that are Republicans are not allowed. 
Okay, so that's the problem because we hear constantly, oh, grandstanding. Well, here's the thing. Buck, Gosar, Green, Heist, Jordan, Keller, Miller, Norman, Meadows, Perry, Watkins, Wright, and Zedlin, they all have the right to access that hearing but are denied. So they stormed it and people were like, well, you had full access to it. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. If they had full access to it, they wouldn't be denied entry. So these rules, okay, are in place, but they should all be allowed to be in the room. It shouldn't be just Democrats. And it shouldn't be sealed where the people that are supposed to be partaking in these discussions are not allowed to be there. So when they say that they are not playing by the book, Judge Napolitano. I can't believe you're a judge and you didn't make that distinction. Republicans are not allowed in there. That's where the goalposts move. That is the problem, not the fact that it's in a basement in secret. Now, the reason they're not allowed is because there is no whistleblower, because that's what they want to know. Where's the whistleblower? I'm not going to tell anyone. Why don't you show me? I don't trust you. Well, that's bad faith. You can't act in bad faith. That's in the law for many, many things. Acting in bad faith. Oh, I just started investigating you because I don't, I don't like you or I don't trust you. Yeah, but that's against the law. That's actually illegal when you enact in bad faith. So this judge is a clown, and I can't believe they let him get away with that because they should have turned around and said, well, hold on a second, Judge Napolitano. Okay, say these secret things are happening. Then why are only Republicans excluded? Why are they not allowed to see anything? Why can't they see it? Why do they need to have nannies, but the Democrats don't have to? See, that's not part of the rules. Part of the rules were that we all keep it secret. Okay. Okay, I see you. If you all keep it secret, that's great. But why aren't we allowed in there? Why are you only allowing a select number of people? Why? That's the question. So, again, it's all about connections, you guys. Connections, connections, connections. The more connections you foster, the more connections you have, the better it moves forward. And speaking of connections... We talk about Adam Schiff. We talk about all these things they're doing. We talk about it, but, you know, bottom line is these Democrats are very, very connected. But the thing is, how many good people have connected with the same connections they have? That's going to be their downfall. That is going to be their downfall. I am going to retweet a picture that someone put out saying that they were gaslighting their constituents, uh, believing that they're not allowed in the hearing. And I want you guys to see it because they do have permission to go in, but they were barred. And this is what misinformation does. Um, I'm going to retweet that during this short break that's coming up right now. Now on further, further to this, I want to get into some foreign policies and some events that are happening globally. Bolivia is under a, a, a what they say a coup right now. Uh, people are contest- contesting votes. People are contesting elections. 
Uh, I told you guys yesterday that um, Brexit failed, and I know yesterday our whole station was kicked offline. It almost seemed like a denial of service attack. We don't know, but whatever it is, it's been fixed. But what I can tell you is the Brexit failed, and now they're asking for an extension. This is a big deal. Now we have Adam Schiff's back up against the wall with this whistleblower, which they're trying to diffuse. Oh, you know, it was like fourth, you know, removed information. Listen, guys, the impeachment inquiry didn't start with the Ukraine. It started before President Trump became president, before he was even elected president, right? They said, if he wins, we're just going to impeach him anyway. And the minute he was elected, they were talking impeachment. For what? Russia. Uh, That failed. So we're going to talk about something else. This failed. This failed. Now we're on the Ukraine. Failed. So we go to Jordan and we try to get something else. Failed. We go to Afghanistan and even the terrorists throw egg on our face. Fail. I mean, they're desperate, guys. Think about it. Why are they desperate? And today we're going to go into it because the NSA is playing a very big role into their desperation, their uncertainty. Hat tip to Admiral Rogers. So we'll get into that today. Um, Stay tuned. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. So in the first hour, we discussed connections because this is very important. It is all coming down to it. And today we're going to be sitting in on a little briefing here on a timeline that is being unraveled in front of us right now. Consider it kind of like insider-ish, right? Because a lot of people are forgetting uh, the connections. They're forgetting the friendships. They're forgetting the work product, the cooperation, the inter-intra-agency communications, these connections. So important. We have to remember how Lindsey Graham was missing in action and appeared and suddenly, boom, he appears and he's not himself. Now, we're going to start these connections, as I say, by um, listening to Whitaker. Whitaker made a few statements, um, and uh, they were interesting. And, you know, obviously they crucified him for saying a few things, and that's okay. I'm totally fine with that. And he's a big boy, and he gets it. He knows it. He gets it. But before we do, let's just listen to Jim Jordan, who responds to this thing called lynching that everyone's like how dare you it is lynching dog piling is another way of saying it it's lynching and the president is i don't care what anybody says it is lynching when they jump on you and they tear you apart it's lynching 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 take a listen to what he says I'm not sure. The other thing is that this morning the president was very critical of this investigation. He referred to it as a lynching. Is that appropriate? The president's frustrated. I mean, if you had to go through the three years that this uh, that the president's had to live through, I think I think that just is an example of the frustration the president feels. Remember, this all started even before he got elected. This this started on July 31st, 2016, when Jim Comey opened the investigation and put the country through three years of this false accusation that somehow the president worked with Russia to impact the election. So uh, going through that, 
And now this ridiculous charade that the Democrats are putting him through, you can understand why the president's frustrated. Position rules. I'm not sure. And the thing is, now we have the District of New York, right, telling us that Attorney General Barr, who I wrote extensively about, who I told you they have insurance on, who's probably okay with that. You know, he's okay with bad mistakes, bad connections, bad things he's done, because maybe he's out for redemption. But we have to remember that even though sleepy sessions didn't do much and it was time to flip the script, he kind of did enough by slotting in our massively huge, he's so tall, right? Uh, Matt Whitaker, who I would say is the insurance policy of justice. Okay, because many of us out there already have what they have. Many of us out there know, and today I'm going to demonstrate that to you, because a lot of people forget. They so forget. They forget this. They forget that. They forget nominations. They forget new positions. They forget new appointments. They forget a lot of what's going on. You know, if nothing was going on, you wouldn't see this mass roundup of human and child trafficking. You wouldn't be seeing them acting so insane uh, that they're literally making deals, trying to make deals with foreign governments on our dime to remove our elected president, to remove him from office because they said so, because he's taking their power away. And they, who is they, they can't stand it. Amy Klobuchar, just another one of them, directly connected with this military industrial complex. When is that going to blow up? When are we going to have it open? What is going on? You know what? Today I was talking with another reporter and I was giving in some details about how I found these connections through a contractor with Amy Klobuchar and how, you know, I've been talking about it for a while and no one's kind of taking the bait. No one's taking the bait years, <laughs> maybe like, over a year and a half ago. And I'm like, you know, we have to be a little bit more, you know, observant. And you know what he said? He said, wait a minute. Didn't AOC say that the Pentagon was missing money? I said, yes. And Amy Klobuchar's company are missing the same amount of money. $10 billion. And in the First quarter of 2019, guess how much? Millions. Hey, Amy, we're on to you. And this expose, because all of you out there listening, anything you find on this woman, and she has a person that works with her. What's his name? P-O-H-L-A-D. Huh. His daddy is actually the director of strategies for Rothschild. Just saying. So let's take a listen to this impeachment that is not a constitutional process um, that, uh, you know, Matt Whitaker commented on uh, just two days ago. Take a listen. Transcript. I, I think this whole process is concerning and against really what everything that this country stands for. Um, you know, accountability, transparency, uh, those types of basic tenets, due process. Um, you know, the, the Democrats and Speaker Pelosi say that this is a constitutional proceeding, and to me it looks like just the opposite. It looks like a unprecedented um, attack by the Democrats on a Republican president. You know, Transcript. It is. But here it is. Here's the, the, the most important thing that he says, and we're going to run on this. Take a listen. 
and former acting attorney general Matthew Whitaker. Great to see you, sir. Your reaction to what you just heard? Well, I think it's good that Hunter is going to appear, I guess, on ABC and talk about kind of what he did and what he's doing and how he traded on his dad's last name while he's vice president to land some pretty lucrative business deals. Um, at the same time, um, you know, I, I'm surprised that Vice President Biden is talking about that this uh, has been fully investigated by uh, the media. I'm not, I'm not sure it has. In fact, I, you know, we're just learning about some of the nuances of these business deals, both in Ukraine and in China, and I think there's a lot more. Um, I, I know I have a lot more questions, and I don't feel like it's been fully vetted. Did you hear the key word? I'm going to play it again because he just told you what's wrong here. Listen. President Biden is talking about that this uh, has been fully investigated by uh, the media. I'm not by uh, the media. I'm not investigated by uh, the media. I'm when has the media been investigators? Aren't they supposed to be reporting the news? You understand that, right? You got that? You got that, right? That's what we need to remember. Okay? What did he say? It was been fully investigated by the media. When did the media ever become like the oversight committee? When did they become the FBI? When did they become, you know, the intelligence community? When did the media become someone that can report and investigate. I'm just saying. Because what the media does is report and draw conclusions, but they are not law enforcement. They are not an oversight committee. They are not a judge. They are not a jury. They present facts and say, well, this could happen or this could happen, right? That's the way it is. Kind of like my report. Whistleblower is just a darn wiretap. That's basically why it is. That's why they can't show the whistleblower. That's why they can't talk about the whistleblower because there is no whistleblower. None. Zero. Zilch. Nothing. Nada. It is a tap. They heard people talking. That's why they said, oh, I heard, you know, from these officials and that. Because you got to be someone really important to connect with all these people. I've said that. And I was kind of glad to hear the president say that, too. Who is this whistleblower? Hangs out with White House staff, you know, intelligence official, National Security Division, DOJ. Like, who are these people talking to all these high-level officials? Who is that person? That person? Fourth removed now, right? Is <laughs> a wiretap. And that is where we're at, you guys. It's a darn wiretap. All right. Let's hit... Uh, Bolivia quickly so we can see how this is going, you know, global. This is a global thing that's going on. It is a global event. This revolt by the people understanding that they are trying to be enslaved by their government. Listen. Both the opposition and government supporters took to the streets. The latter to show their support for leftist president Evo Morales in San Francisco Plaza. For them, he's the only one who took the people into account. I identify with this person who's changed the destiny of the country. The governments before just looted the natural resources and this person's distributed the wealth and stipends for our old, our children and the pregnant women. 
They say Morales, who was the front-runner in campaign polls, won the election fair and square. I say to the opposition, whoever loses in the voting booth has to respect the democratic process. Democracy is not coming out with sticks and burning public buildings or not recognising results. Democracy is respecting what the people have decided. But there are significant doubts about the election. The supposed rapid count on Sunday showed President Morales and challenger Carlos Mesa heading into a second round runoff with 83% of the votes counted. Then, that count froze for 24 hours. When it resumed, President Morales was suddenly on the brink of winning outright in the first round. The vice president of the electoral tribunal said the delay discredited the electoral process and resigned. The Organization of American States called for a runoff. Carlos Mesa says peaceful protests will be needed to force that. If we don't mobilize, if we don't show our democratic power in the street, this government will do what it wants with the election results. Opposition supporters scarcely needed telling. Wednesday was the third day they marched. We are fighting to defend our vote because Evo Morales is not respecting the will of the people. He is not respecting the laws. He is not respecting anything. His time in government is over. And it isn't just in La Paz, but across the country. There are many people here that feel that, especially in recent years, democratic standards have been slipping. Especially the country's industrial centre, Santa Cruz, saw street battles. President Morales has called it an attempted coup, citing the burning of government buildings. The opposition say, instead, it's a cry for transparency and change. It's incredible, right? It's incredible how suddenly, you know, the Qatari-funded government is putting out this information. This is a coup because the socialist policies that um, Carlos Mesa is pushing, which is redistributing the wealth, you heard it yourself, Antifa's out, and they are trying to take him down. They want to take Morales down because Morales aligns with Bolivia first and with capitalism and not handouts. And you heard them say, oh, he's giving money to the old people and to pregnant women and redistributing our wealth rather than taking our natural resources and doing trade. I mean, what? That's exactly what's supposed to happen. But okay. I want you guys to pay attention because this is happening everywhere across the globe and here is where we go into the uk the uk had put forward a deal where they would still be attached to the eu and there is no deal on the table because they refuse and i'm kind of happy about it because it would indeed be the same they'd still be in the eu without the eu <laughs> if it makes sense to you so take a listen because they asked um, for an, an extension and the EU hasn't gotten back to them. Take a listen. Extension, it seems. What happens next? Does everyone actually believe uh, that uh, Macron is going to continue to push forward with this shorter deadline that he's called for? 
Good morning, Nero. Well, he is certainly pushing and pushing hard to get a very short technical extension that would essentially see the United Kingdom leave the European Union on November 15th. So that is, of course, way shorter than the uh, extension that was requested by the United Kingdom and pushed forward also by Donald Tusk, the head of the European Council, which would see the UK stay until at least January 31st, 2020. Now, the thinking behind Macron is it's not just France, there's a number of other countries, too. They believe believe that if you keep that very short deadline, that would keep everyone focused on delivering Brexit. It would focus minds back in the UK. And of course, it would keep the EU out of a political game in the UK. Of course, we don't know whether this is going to lead to a general election or not. That is something that worries the Europeans. They do not want to get trapped in more political drama happening in the UK. I have to say, though, Another part of this debate yeah. is a longer, flexible extension that would see the U.K. leave before that. And there is also momentum when it comes to that. So they agree the U.K. needs more time. The debate is how much time. Maybe tomorrow we get an answer on this. If not, we'll have to wait until Monday. Yeah, and Maria, in terms of the flex extension and an even longer extension, Bulgarian Prime Minister Boyko Borisov talking about going on like this for another 90 to 100 years. Surely not. That's right. It's, it's, it's never ending there. That's how it feels here. Uh, uh, the reality is uh, the Europeans ultimately do believe that a no deal is not in anyone's interest and the United Kingdom needs to leave with a deal. They have come to terms with the idea that they leave, but they leave with, as I mentioned, this deal. So what he's essentially hinting at is that ultimately whenever they need more time, the EU is never going to push the UK out. They're never going to push the country into a chaotic exit and they don't want to do it now because what they see now, and this is crucial, is that Prime Minister Boris Johnson is very, very close to delivering this deal. So they want to stick with him, and they believe that, if anything, he is the man to deliver Brexit. He's the only one that can do this at this point. Mm. And if he needs more time, well, they're obviously willing to give him more. There's no consent. Okay, so guys, why? Why are they constantly, oh, yeah, you better get out by then or else, and then it's like there's no or else. Why? Why are they doing that? Ask yourself, why are they doing that? Because they don't want them out. And a no deal would be better because a no deal would make sense. A no deal would indeed, indeed, let them get out and not owe them anything. And in the end, I'm just going to say, okay, in the end, if they come back for them and they come at them to do whatever they want them to do, uh, you know, it's no big deal because huh, they could just sue them. They can go to court about it. They can, you know, uh, just go back and forth until, you know, something happens. That's how it should be done. I'm just saying that is how it should be done. So I am all for the no deal. The no deal is great because it's, gives them the ability to get out and deal with the consequences later without having to um, get in to more concerns, I would say, um, or activities. So I want you guys to know that this delay is also in tangent with the delay of the IG FISA report. And that's because we found out who the whistleblower is. And that was from the Mulvaney leak. But um, and it, it was a leak. The Mulvaney uh, issue was a leak. So 
that's all I want to say on uh, international for now, for now, aside from the fact that um, I just wanted to give an honorable mention to the fact that Hong Kong has withdrawn the extradition law, uh, something I said that they would be doing. You know, Hong Kong is withdrawing it, not China. Uh, that way the Chinese get to keep face. Mm. I said that months ago, uh, you know, when this all came out, I wrote about it and I said the only way forward is bloodshed. If China wants to put their feet, the only escape we would have had is what the withdrawal from Hong Kong. And they officially did. Now, let's get back to our nation because we're going to have like a little sit in, right? A little huddle in the second hour where we're going to talk about things uh, in depth. I'm going to let you guys understand how uh, the National Security Agency actually works and um, who are the important players on this. But before we get into that in the next hour, I want us to just um, finally say, you know, the shooting that happened, you know, in Florida and Broward County, the sheriff that was, you know, removed. Well, finally, the Florida Senate actually voted to permanently oust the suspended sheriff, Scott Israel, the one that is linked to so many big players, he's done. The one that told his sheriffs to stand down. The one that obfuscated evidence on the shooter. Take a listen. Permanently removed, suspended Broward County Sheriff Scott Israel by an overwhelming margin of 25 to 15. Israel was suspended by Governor Ron DeSantis for his department's response to the Parkland school shooting that left 17 people dead in 2018. Big story in our next guest famously clashed with Israel following the shooting during a televised town hall. She joins us now. Of course, she's syndicated radio host Dana Lash. Good morning, Dana. Good morning. He's out. Good you morning, happy? Ed, Ainsley, and Brian. Good to see you. What's your reaction? I am. I'm happy. I'm happy for I'm happy for all of the families, because it, no matter where they fell on the political side of things, they were all united in making sure this guy goes. And the only people who stood with this coward and I want to be really clear. I think that I think Scott Israel is a thug. I think he's a coward. I think he attempted to bully people, particularly me on stage, where wherein he blamed me for his failures and his incompetency. If I was doing his job, I would have done it a heck of a lot better than that man that 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 sad excuse for a man would have done but i am glad that these families were victorious i am glad that they got this dangerous man out of this office and they have someone who actually has the training and has the desire to serve the people of broward county and the individuals that stood with scott israel they did unfortunately fall on the political side of things it was a party line vote as i understand originally and then there were some democrats that actually did support his ouster but thankfully you had people like Andy Pollock, Ryan Petty, other members of, of other families who suffered as a result of, you know, partially because of this man's incompetency that were there in Tallahassee to make sure that the Florida Senate understood how important it was that this dangerous guy not be allowed to stay in that office. Now, he's going to, if you can believe this, he's going to run for re-election. He wants his seat back. Mm. He thinks it's his divine right to be in this seat. Now, this is a guy who failed also with the Fort, with, with the, with the Fort Lauderdale and, and Hollywood Airport. Remember that the shooting that took place.
place there. There was a report that was done that showed all of the failures under Scott Israel's amazing leadership and how those failures set the stage for his his, his incompetency and, and what he failed at at Parkland. How they didn't even establish you know a base. How how his deputies, the MSD Commission, discovered that his deputies were not kept up to date with active shooter training, which is why you had Coral Springs police react so strongly after Scott Israel started chasing cameras yeah. mere hours after that Parkland Dana, massacre. Let's hear from and us. so I'm glad this guy is gone. Yeah, pardon me. Let's just hear from Scott Israel because you've had your time and we're going to give you more. But mm -hmm. here's what he said to the voters of Broward County. I'm sad to report that politics won the day. Your vote has been stolen, he says, and the results of our 2016 election have been overturned. From 450 miles away, the governor substituted his judgment for yours and installed his own sheriff in Broward County. Your reaction? You know what was stolen? The lives of those people that Scott Israel failed to protect. Though that's what was stolen. It wasn't politics that led Scott Israel to deny his deputies training. It wasn't politics that led an 85% vote for his for the deputies in his union. First time they've ever done that. Had a vote of no confidence in this man. It wasn't politics that encouraged Scott Israel to to with the promise program and his lack of following up on these tips that were reported to his office to deny the establishment of a criminal record that would have prevented this murder from later buying a gun. It wasn't politics. It was incompetency. Scott Israel needs to be reminded that he's not the victim here. Those families are. You're right. Thank you so much, Dana. And boom. There he goes. And this guy is highly connected with guess who? Debbie Washerman Schultz. All the other corrupt little DNC cronies. Oh, did I mention that he was involved in some conversations that are on the record in the courts with Imran, uh, uh, the Awan brothers, let's just say. <laughs> it's all coming up. See, these are the little hints you need to see. Kind of like what Matt Whitaker said. Joe Biden says that the media fully investigated it. The media fully investigated it. The media fully investigated it. Huh. That's going to make a lot of sense to you when we move forward in the next hour. Let that sit. Now, for now, I just wanted to say yesterday watching the Republicans um, protest, I guess, right? You would call it a protest, made me actually cry when they were going there. It made me actually cry that uh, like good tears, right? Like I was so moved of seeing it happen. But on the other hand, I was like, damn it. How many times have I eaten popcorn and watched on YouTube people in Uganda or Nigeria beating each other up in Congress or their parliament, whatever you want to call it. We're going to end up doing the same thing. And to be honest with you, if I was there, I probably would have punched out of ship in the face if he turned his nose up at me. I don't know if I'd be able to control myself because his nose turn is... Real news. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tori, as always, here 12 to 2 Eastern Time, Monday through Friday. So right now, I'm going to kind of walk you through kind of like an Intel roundtable. Just you and I, 
or we're going to go through this so it makes 100% sense. But before we do, I want to remind you guys that I told you that Hillary Clinton was going to be running again, right? Remember when I said that? Watch her come out in the hour because it was her turn. You know, she's been getting stronger. I wonder where she's getting all that medicine. Looks like she's been fed well. Let's take a listen to what Ingram had to say about it. On PBS, and in response to a question about Trump's urging her to run again, Mrs. Clinton said this. So maybe there does need to be a rematch. I mean, obviously, I can beat him again. Well, host Judy Woodruff noted via Twitter that Clinton claimed she was joking. But remember, we're talking about the Clintons, so the truth is always a bit elusive. Well, what are the chances that Hillary jumps into the 2020 race? It ain't zero, and does she think about it all the time? Absolutely. That's what one of Hillary's closest confidants told the Washington Post. Now, just a few months ago, I dismissed the idea of Hillary 2.0 kind of out of hand. She wouldn't be that arrogant and ungracious toward the current field. No way. But then the weakness of the Democrat slate surprised even me. Nothing's working. The walking, talking, gaffomatic machine known as Joe Biden may have dropped in the polls for a few weeks, but now he's back on top. And what seems to be the grudging recognition that the other top candidates, Warren and Sanders, are just not going to cut it in key battleground states where common sense still means something. Now, Mrs. Clinton may also feel vindicated by the interestingly timed release of an internal State Department report that somehow managed to exonerate her in the matter of email deletion and the handling of classified information. Although Hillary staffers, of course, they were faulted, the review certainly gives Mrs. Clinton cover. Plus, I mean, who doesn't think that Hillary is a stronger candidate than that goofball Biden? To use one of his favorite phrases, come on, man. Like, I know what you're saying, you know, though. Come on, isn't it too late? It's too late for Hillary. It's too late to get into this already crowded field. Well, my answer is, it's really up to the party. If the voters aren't jazzed by any of the likely frontrunners, they'd be stupid not to seriously consider another Clinton bid. She has instant name recognition a massive fundraising apparatus that could be reactivated, and her old campaign team would quickly reconstitute and key players exit other campaigns the moment she stepped back in. And let's face it, she's been to the Trump rodeo before, so she knows the show better than anyone. As another Hillary pal told the Washington Post, her view is, I ran against this guy. I know how to do this. Another reason I think Hillary is inching toward a rerun is her penchant for dipping into the political conversation uninvited. Most recently, it was her gratuitous swipe at Tulsi Gabbard. While Bernie Sanders gently reproached Hillary for the smear, Elizabeth Warren just seemed nervous about the looming Clinton shadow. Senator, Secretary Clinton has been back in the news recently. She criticized... Do you have a question about public yeah. education? No, I just want to start there. Do you think she's helping or hurting the Democratic Party? I don't do have think, any comment do on that. Do you see a role for her in the 2020? I don't have any comment. Gulp. <laughs> it's like shaking. Now, of course, the other animating force for Hillary may be the Democrats' view, albeit erroneous, that the Trump campaign is gravely wounded by the growing likelihood of impeachment. Now, I 
can imagine this. Maybe you can as well. These well-paid, overpaid, I should say, political consultants making this pitch. Go something like this. Madam Secretary, even if the economy remains strong, our internal polling, it's showing that voters will abandon Trump and choose you, another political name brand, just to stop the chaos coming out of Washington. And just think, you'll finally, Mrs. Clinton, be able to make history as the first female president of the United States. Don't let the dream die. America is calling you. History is calling you. Save us from Trump. Do it for the grandkids. All right. So I wanted to stop it right there. Listen, sarcasm aside, I just want to show you how things are always planned out completely. So it was my daughter's birthday two days ago, and she wanted to watch a movie with me. So she goes to Redbox and rents a movie um, that's called Booksmart. See, I have an eye for all details, everything. So I watched this movie with her that um, was released in May of 2019, so this year. And you know what I noticed in the opening scene? The car that the girl was driving and the stickers on the car. See, what's really weird is, is that Warren announced that she was running for president in February 2019, and you would think, you know, editing, doing the movie, movies don't just get put together from February to May, right? February, March, April, so in two months they made this movie. Because it was really weird, because throughout the movie, they had Warren 2020 stickers. You paying attention? Some things tell you that some people know how or what is to come. That is important that we understand that. And there's no better division to be able to, how do I say, put not backup plans, but mitigate outcomes mitigate things that are to come than the intelligence community. So I want to remind everyone that when we're talking about the intelligence community, remember this movie that was made in, it was released in May of 2019. It made its debut. Only a couple months after Warren announced her run that had Warren 2020 stickers throughout the whole film. So in that timeline, Warren woulda, but she didn't. I'm just saying. So I want you to now listen to something from five years ago. Now, five years ago, I want to remind you something else. We had a probe, a probe, understand that? A probe of our intelligence community that was ordered by Barack Hussein Obama to investigate torture report, right? And I want you all to remember this evil woman and what she said as Senate Intel Committee 
In another major story tonight, the chair of and what she of the said. Senate Intelligence Committee has accused the it, CIA of spying on... Okay, before he says it, gosh darn it, my computer. I want you guys, I'm taking you down memory lane. We're going to 2014 now so that you can see how this works. Listen. Your story tonight, the chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee has accused the CIA of spying on Congress in an astonishing speech. Democrat Dianne Feinstein claimed that in 2010, the agency hacked into the computers of her committee, which oversees the CIA. Wyatt Andrews has our story. California's the, the speech was both a surprise and unprecedented. Dianne Feinstein, the chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee, says the CIA spied on the committee's computers and deleted important documents. She said it happened during an investigation into the CIA's controversial interrogation techniques, including waterboarding. What happened? Why did it used against suspected terrorists by snooping on Congress? Feinstein said the CIA crossed the line. I have grave concerns that the CIA's search may well have violated the separation of powers principles embodied in the United States Constitution. The director of the CIA, John Brennan, denied that the agency did anything wrong. As far as the allegations of, you know, CIA hacking into, you know, Senate computers, nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, we wouldn't do that. But Director Brennan himself disclosed in January that the agency had conducted a search of the committee computers. Here's the issue. For years, the CIA and Intelligence Committee have shared computers at a secret site in Northern Virginia where committee investigators could access classified documents. Last year, the CIA complained that Senate staffers had hacked the system and copied a document considered off-limits. That document, called the Internal Panetta Review, because it went straight to former director Leon Panetta, is said to be highly critical of the CIA's interrogation program. Senator Feinstein denied there was any hacking and said the committee broke true. none of the rules. The document was made available to the staff at the off-site... Okay, before she continues her last... You know what? Let me just play her last 27 seconds. Because you're going to... This is going to put a smile on your face, and I know all of you are like, Oh, come on, tell me. Just listen. ...facility, and it was located using a CIA-provided search tool. This clash now leaves both sides, the Senate and the CIA, accusing each other of possible criminal violations of computer law. Both sides have lodged complaints at the Justice Department, but, Scott, in the past, disputes like this have gone all the way to the president. White Andrews on Capitol Hill for us tonight. So... What did we have? We had Senator Dianne Feinstein, who was, remember, I've been saying this, Daniel Jones's, you know, mentor, who conducted this thorough CIA torture report, right? And we have John Brennan saying, well, you know, nothing really happened. Uh, they just got this one document and it was hacked and it was copied and, uh, you know, there was no need to know. I mean, you know, why would you need um, the internal Panetta review? Why would you need his review? Because it talks about torture. So remember how I told you that Daniel Jones has a long list of contacts 
See, in the Panetta review, I'm just going to let you know, there are a bunch of intelligence community people that may or may not know how things are going to pan out. And that document wasn't really a big deal. Yes, it talked about waterboarding. Yes, it talked about other torture techniques. But embedded in that document, encryptedly in a form of, um, well, if you ever saw the document, you'd know, there's more information in there. See, the best way to hide things is to hide things inside of hidden things. Then, then those hidden things are hidden in other places. Now, John Brennan says, no, 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 we didn't do it because they, uh, because it was the CIA they were investigating. But what if it was another agency that's above the CIA, that's above the NSA, that's completely off the books, and nobody knows who their names are, that kind of did the hacking for them? Or that had people do what they needed to do there. So that they knew what they had and how they were doing it. I'm just, I'm just pointing that out because see, um, it was John Brennan who kind of, um, mentioned that in a way, um, about the whole spying on things. Um, and, Clapper did too. I want you to listen to this NSA surveillance clip where Clapper says, we don't spy. Hold on, let's get him going. Come on, Clapper, you're just a few seconds. What we do not do is spy unlawfully on Americans or for that matter, spy indiscriminately on the citizens of any country. We only spy for valid foreign intelligence purposes as authorized by law with multiple layers of oversight to, sh- to ensure we don't abuse our authorities. How many of you believe that? Does anybody believe that? So what people need to understand is, is that they said that they don't spy on people that's not legally allowed and they only do it for foreign intelligence. But here we have Clapper himself admitting that he spied on foreign the top leaders. intelligence official in Listen. the country and the director of the NSA are testifying on Capitol Hill as we speak. And when pressed about reports that the NSA has been tapping the phones of foreign leaders, even allies, director of national intelligence James Clapper said that's long been par for the course. Plans and intentions of foreign leaders would be important for the United States to know. That's a hearty perennial. Uh, as long as I've been in the, in the intelligence business, um, 50 years, uh, leadership intentions, in whatever form that's expressed, is kind of a, a basic tenet of what uh, we are to collect and analyze. Now, the White House has long denied German media reports that President Obama was told in 2010 that the NSA was spying, tapping the phone of German Chancellor Angela Merkel and let it going on. The Intelligence Committee Chairman Press Clapper about whether the White House would have been told that foreign leaders were being tapped. Would it, in fact, uh, any value of that information find its way to uh, at least the National Security Council in the White House? Uh, well, it certainly could. They may not have uh, information specifically related to uh, a specific selector or any specific collection target. What they would see, though, would be the output of this uh, in, in, its, in its total uh, total dimension. 
I want to bring in Chief National Security Correspondent uh, Jim Shido. Jim, we just heard James Clapper kind of explain this discrepancy, or at least attempt to explain the discrepancy between uh, intelligence officials saying that the White House and the National Security Council had been briefed on this program, and the White House saying that President Obama certainly did not know that Merkel's phone had been tapped. Uh, translate that for us. Well, I think that whether he intended to or not, Clapper actually gave President Obama some cover there, because as he said... Presidents read this kind of intelligence all the time. They're looking at the output. They might not necessarily know what the source uh, of that output is. So it's plausible that the president might have read something that resulted from the content, contents of, say, Merkel's conversations without know that, knowing that it came from listening in on one of her phone calls. And that's actually something that the administration had been telling us the last couple of days. So Clapper, to some extent, backing that up. Wait, are you saying that um, they spy on foreign governments? So, like, if a president from Australia, for example, prime minister, were to call the president of the United States, and they're not tapping the president's line, but they might be tapping the Australian one? Hmm? You see? So, you have to think. Here we have Brennan claiming that, no, we don't, you know, spy or anything. And we continue on with the lies and the lies, and we're going to go with the more lies. Let's talk about Levinson for a second. Family has said the CIA... I just want you guys to know that um, a guy that went missing in Iran was abandoned... After the fact that it was discovered that he was tied to the CIA, that he was made, okay? And that he was kidnapped in Iran while he was working undercover. So basically, the CIA, back in 2013, when they were responding to those queries, denied that he worked with them as a contractor. And was undercover. They lied to Congress. I just want to point this out. This is from CNN. I'm playing all the fake news when they used to do a little bit of real news. Because uh, they weren't all sold out yet. Um, they weren't scared much. Here we go. I lied to them about Robert Levinson's work for the agency. Now Senator John McCain told CNN the agency apparently lied to Congress. CIA did not tell the truth to the American Congress about Mr. Levinson. If that's true, then you put this on top of things that the, our intelligence committees didn't know about other activities which have been revealed by Snowden. And also for the United States government. The Levinson family makes an emotional case that those denials led the CIA and FBI to drag their feet on securing his release. CNN Susan Candiotti spoke with family lawyer David McGee. What they were doing was contrary to policy and, and rules within the CIA. It was a, clearly a firing offense. They chose to stonewall it, leave him in Iran, and hopefully save their jobs. That's an accusation Secretary of State John Kerry vehemently denied. To suggest that we've abandoned him or anybody has abandoned him is simply incorrect uh, and, and uh, not helpful. Still, security analysts say he should never have been in Iran, a so-called denied area, since the U.S. government has no presence there in the first place. Given Levinson's background, the notion that you thought you could infiltrate him uh, into a denied area was particularly risky. This is a retired FBI agent. 
Now, the publication of his CIA links may further endanger other Americans held in Iran and accused of spying. A favorite child. So he's now FBI. He's not. So the question is, where is Robert Levinson? He's been missing, okay, for 12 years. 12 years, you guys, he's been missing. Where is he? That's a question you should all ask yourself. Just how many of, of those Americans that are contractors, where the family usually doesn't know they work for the U.S. government, people that may not have had insurance information somewhere, like in a bank safe, somewhere where nobody knows, Encrypted in a picture, encrypted in a message, so that their family knows. Hey, if I don't return, you need to go to XYZ. Remember this. Now that we spoke about it, let's get back in the car. If they didn't know, they wouldn't pressure them. Everyone didn't know who this guy is. Everybody didn't know. Family's like, he's working with the CIA. Suddenly it comes out that he works for the FBI because you can track that money. The money the contractor gets, the money that comes from a contracting agency, from a contracting agency that gets to be billed to a number, and then that number appears. There's always a paper trail in most cases. And some, it's a really good backup. So you have to think about it. Where is he? It's been 12 years. Why are we saying this? Well, there was a CIA whistleblower that uh, came out and said that Brennan and Clapper should not be able to escape prosecution, prosecution in the fact that they need to go to jail because they ordered people within the intelligence community to intercept emails and potential intelligence community whistleblowers who were trying to contact Congress to tell them what they were doing they were gathering that information. Now, this stems back to what they're saying about the CIA spying on the Senate Select uh, Committee on the Intelligence. That they went in, they destroyed documents, they took it out. Hacking the Senate's computer system is a felony. It is illegal espionage. It is everything and its mother. It could be wire fraud, et cetera, et cetera. It is a fe- felony, a criminal felony. To classify something in order to prevent embarrassment. Now, Grassley was on top of this and he knew that, uh, that there was hacking, but couldn't say anything because senators on the intelligence or judiciary's committees didn't know about it. So this hacking on Congress and the Senate is very important. This is how they get insurance, but this is how they control the information that you maintain. They infiltrate your computer and delete, 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 delete. That is what they do. Now, the problem with this is, is one, they monitor all their communications. Two, they monitor what access they have to information. But here's where it gets really sneaky. We're going to talk about overcollection, which is the fancy way of saying spying. 
over collection of the NSA. I've talked about Section 702. I've talked about that sink where all upstream data is held for 72 hours in lieu of any FISA warrants that may come. But here's the thing. Overcollection means that accidentally, when that sink of all this information from 72 hours ago, when you pull the drain, it doesn't all go down. Some of it gets strained like a filter, and they keep it. And it seems to be that it's always very selective, like in the case of Donald Trump and Flynn and anyone in his orbit, you and I, whatever it may be. For some reason, it gets overcollected. Like all your data, all your upstream that's yours is collected because this filter malfunctions, as they say, and holds on to it unintentionally. And they're trying to delete it, but they really, really can't. And it could be, you know, human error as well, as they tell everyone. Mm. Here's where we're going to get into the nitty gritty of it. Because now you're going to understand how we caught Schiff. And we're going to talk a little bit more about Robert Stork because I'm the only one, I think, that is talking about him. See you in a bit. Red State Talk Radio is now available as a voice command on your Amazon Echo and Echo Dot by simply saying, Alexa, play Red State Talk Radio. Red State Talk Radio on TuneIn. Turn to every single American. Now, we've been hearing all these stories about sanctuary cities, sanctuary cities that... You can now find us on the Amazon Echo and Echo Dot, on TuneIn, on iHeartRadio, and we also have the phone apps in the App Store for your particular phone. And just in case we activated your Echo Dot, Alexa, stop. Hello, my fellow patriots. My name is Michael Flynn, Jr., and I am the proud son of General Flynn. Your support of the last two years has been incredible and will never be forgotten. If you'd like to continue supporting General Flynn, you can donate to our Legal Defense Fund. Any donation is welcome. To donate, go to www.mikeflynndefensefund.org. Thank you, and God bless America. Hey, this is Leonora Cravota from Red State Talk Radio for My Pillow. I used to have trouble sleeping. My pillow changed all that. I now fall asleep within moments of my head touching my pillow. That's how comfortable my pillow is with its patented interlocking fill. My pillow stays cool and does not go flat. Plus, it's machine washable and dryable. My pillow has a 10-year warranty and a 60-day comfort guarantee. My pillow is also the official pillow of the National Sleep Foundation, and it's made right here in the USA. My pillow is now offering Red State Talk Radio listeners a four-pack special with two premium standard or queen pillows and two go-anywhere pillows. That's four pillows for the price of one. To take advantage of this special offer, call 1-800-961-9194 and ask for promo code REDSTATE. That's one 800 961-9194 promo code red state put sleepless nights behind you with my pillow the most comfortable pillow you will ever own for the best night's sleep in the whole wide world visit mypillow.com guaranteed life insurance with no medical exam sounds great right even better your rates will never increase and benefits will never decrease if you're a US citizen between 50 and 80 you can get life insurance guaranteed it's not guaranteed in every state, and you may not qualify for every policy, but when you call, you'll speak with a licensed insurance company. They'll give you all the details about guaranteed life insurance. So call now, 
a little trip that we're going to go through memory lane just a little bit. So uh, we talked about um, how they were spying on Congress and Senate and any whistleblower that wanted to come forward and wanted to come forward in 2015, 2016, 2017, even 2018 and 2019 could not. I know Chuck Grassley has asked for whistleblowers, but think about it. I mean, I've thought to myself, maybe I should whistleblow. Maybe I should say something on anything. But I already know how this thing works and how it works is that they make sure your um, message never gets heard. And that's disappointing. Here's how it goes. How do we know? that they were spying on the Trump administration, oh, well, the Trump campaign at the time, and even Ted Cruz and everybody and their mother for so long, from like 2015. How do we know this? It's because of the Section 702 certifications that were being filed by John Carlin. It was Judge Collier that signed the first FISA warrant. I feel like a broken record because I've said this throughout the whole year a few times. She signed the first FISA warrant, Right? She approved the application, the first one, the bogus one. But she also scolded just weeks before that. It was September 26. She took A.G. Lynch. She spanked all of them in a memorandum. And that is when we saw John Carlin get resigned. Right? Because they could not explain why they were constantly collecting information on the Trump administration. So here's the deal. This judge knew that they were collecting information on Trump for what they call over-collection due to error of algorithms and maybe human error and asked an extension to fix the problem. Are you paying attention? This is just how dirty this judge is. Anyone? Prove me wrong. I dare you. She knew exactly what they were collecting. They were spying uh, on the president Admiral Rogers knew that. Judge Collier let them spy. She gave him an extension to December and then gave him another extension till April and then said, oh, bad, bad, bad. Why can't you fix it yet? It's been so long. She let them spy. You know what overcollection is? Spying. That's what it is. It means that for some reason, when you pull the plug on that sink with that 72 hours of information from the whole United States, some of it gets held back. And it just turned out to be some of that being anyone associated with running against Hillary and then anyone associated with President Trump going forward, anyone in their mother that was a Trumper, that had a big social media profile, that, that, that. That was a reporter, that, that, that. This is how Marie Yovanovitch got, what? Oh, spying on them? Yeah. How? NSA. Here's how it goes. We all know that Horowitz is the inspector general of the what we call Justice Department, really, not really. And he is the chairman of the council of... Uh, the Inspector Generals on Integrity and Efficiency. He said, I just want to say, uh, there was a statement saying that the chair of the Council of the Inspectors General on Integrity and Efficiency, the, the, which is called the SIGI, 
right, C-I-G-I-E, is actually comprised of 73 federal inspector generals, right? Now, I have told you weeks ago, well, months ago and then again weeks ago, how there was the first presidential appointed IG for the NSA done under the Trump administration, but that position was created to be presidentially appointed by who? It was done so by Barack Hussein Obama. So after that, um, you know, after basically, how do I, how do I line this up? We know that there was an NSA inspector general that was literally kicked out for retaliating against whistleblowers, right? The Senate, um, he got kicked out. Um, what was his name again? Doctor, I'm trying to remember. Doctor, doctor, gosh darn it. Doctor, what's his name? His name is slipping my mind, but it'll come to me. Um, gosh, he was boss for so long. <laughs> I don't even remember his name. All right. So he was ousted for supposedly, um, retaliating against whistleblowers. Now, President Barack Hussein Obama decided that he's going to appoint. It's going to be presidentially appointed. So he fixed that. So people need to know that inspectors generals have been appointed in the NSA by the director of the NSA. And people would say that causes like conflict of interest, right? Of course. And because it's supposed to be an independent office. I mean, it's like the director of the whole NSA, kind of like some clapper would be like, yeah, I want him for my NSA head. So remember the whole debacle with the spying on whistleblowers and retaliating? Well, it was the IG that took the hit, right? He got thrown under the bus, not clapper, not Brennan. And the thing is, could you imagine that there were spies spying on the spies? I'm just throwing that out there. So Stork was nominated by Barack Hussein Obama in November, okay? In November, he nominated him. But McCain dragged his feet. The Senate, literally all of them, dragged their feet. He was never, you know, confirmed. So what President Trump did is he renominated him, went with what Barack Hussein Obama picked, a guy named Robert Stork. And he'd be like, what is he, insane? Is he insane? So he nominates him again as President Trump in June of 2017. And so the day after President Trump signs this um, executive order to confiscate any property, bank accounts, whatever they have and their mother, if a government official, state, local, or federal is found to be corrupt, found to be involved in kitty diddling or anything. After he signs that, he appoints this guy on December 22nd. He was confirmed and, uh, you know, signed into law, you know, that he was confirmed on December 22nd, 2017. Now, what do we know about this guy? Oh, yeah, it was um Dr. Ellard. That's it. Dr. Ellard, George Ellard was, I can't even, I can't believe that I forgot. So he took the position of IG for the NSA 
that was empty for like a year when Ellard was actually ousted as the reason of retaliating against whistleblowers, when that's the guy that actually established the whistleblowing and more than likely was the one that whistle blew on the, that the whistleblowers were being investigated. But I digress. Stork has a record, they say, of supporting whistleblowers because he was a chairman of the Council of Inspector Generals and Integrity and Efficiency Whistleblower Optimism Working Group, which was created by the Whistleblower Optimism Program. Now, can you trust all these programs that were made by Democrats? I don't think so. So let me tell you a little bit about this guy so you understand. He was the first presidentially appointed one, and President Trump went with whatever Barack Hussein Obama gave him. He was also a prosecutor for the Northern District of New York at one point. Whoa, really? The same, oh, and he uh, worked with New York Bar, the same one that's asking for Attorney General Barr to recuse himself. And he was, hear this, he was um, the uh, DOJ's um, senior counsel. So Horowitz's senior counsel. He was the IG and acting deputy IG for the DOJ before he was appointed to deputy. Like he was appointed as deputy IG of the Department of Justice in 2015, just so you know. And he was a chairman, you know, on this whole, I support whistleblowers. Now, what people need to know also is that he also was assigned to, after being the deputy criminal chief and counsel to the U.S. attorney in New York, he was then assigned to the Ukraine. He was the Department of Justice resident legal advisor to the Ukraine. You want to guess when he was there? And he worked on corruption, like super corruption. He wanted to make sure there's no corruption. See, he worked overseas in the Ukraine to create, uh, uh, you know, methods and, and, and ways that we could address official corruption. What? Are you kidding? Like, I'm not joking. Like, this is like for real stuff. Okay, this is like for real, for real, for real stuff. So while Biden was in the Ukraine, Right. While Proshenko was making all these deals, we had Stark there making sure there was no corruption. Here's the the thing that people need to understand and where eyes go. Right now, we have a lot of agencies conducting investigations. Let's not forget Huber, because everybody's forgotten that name for some reason. Huber, Horowitz, Durham, Stork. Now, one thing that people need to understand is that all the IGs get together and share information. Okay? They share a lot of information. So you have to think. If Huber has not directly interviewed several witnesses then that means that Huber is not, like, for real in regards to what he's doing. Does that make sense? Okay, let me, let me, let me put my thought better rather than be so cryptic. So Horowitz has Huber. Huber is supposed to be investigating. He has a huge team. He's doing his thing. 
But there aren't any witnesses that he's questioned in regards to, I don't know, the the Clinton email case, right? Right? He didn't interview key witnesses, supposedly. So then that means that it's not a real investigation. So then why is he appointed and why is his name out there? Is it just faux show? Are, are you seeing? So Huber himself has the right to like prosecute people, go to the grand jury and go to the grand jury. Like I said, if I want to get Comey indicted, I'm not going to go to a magistrate or have a grand jury court in D.C. where he knows everyone or in New York or in Florida or in California. I'm going to go to some ho dicky city in the middle of nowhere in another state and get it done where I can monitor every single person on that grand jury panel. I know there's no way he could communicate. I've accessed all their social media, all their text and phone records, and I know who's not compromised, and I tell them, we have eyes on you. So if you don't want us to see you doing some porn, <laughs> put a sticker on your phone. If you don't want us hearing your conversations with your boyfriend, don't make that phone call. We are going to be watching you. We are going to be seeing you. You are under lockdown. Like, you know, they probably have them in like witness protection type things. So this is how serious it gets. So one would have to think. A session's put up with a lot, right? Sneak, sneaky, stealthy sessions. But he gave us Whitaker to do everything on the side. You know, all these IGs share information, you guys, all of them. So how is that that it works? I mean, think about it. Huber, Horowitz, Stork. Who else? Come on. That's right. Durham. The Inspector General of the FBI. I would want to say intelligence community. Mm. But I want to stick to like signal intelligence because it's very specific because there's a lot of different ICs that work there. How's that? And then you have, you know, assuring that information is correct. So you've got IA verification, insurance, info assurance. So you have all that moving together and coming together in one nice, beautiful thing. <laughs> Could I say group? That all crosstalk. And so you think about it. You're like, wait, hold on a second. So you're saying that they can see everything. And yeah, they can. Everything you listen to, everything you say, every picture you take, every video you take, every email you send, every text you send, every SMS, DM, whatever you send, they can see. But they don't have the authority to actually read it. It's just a data packet. Because after 72 hours, they're supposed to purge it. The only reason it's there is that, you know, maybe you might be under investigation for colluding with a foreign government. So then they'll have the right to look at it. Now, that's the way it usually works. They will find information and, you know, do it. Now, over collection is, I think... I want to monitor you and get a FISA warrant. I can't prove that you're a foreign agent or you've been speaking to someone. In, <laughs> let's pretend Russia because Russia is always the enemy. Yet 99% of all these in espionage things are all China, but you know, Russia, whatever. So I decide that I'm going to accidentally have an algorithm that accidentally holds on to all your stuff 
and anyone that's connected to you, your mom, dad, sister, husband, kids, babysitter, barista, everything. <laughs> so I just hold on to that information by accidental overcollection. And it's with that information that I collect through overcollection that I find how I'm going to apply to spy. So I spy on you to find information so that I can apply to spy on you legally. This is what happened. Now you have to think, what role does Stork play? Because one thing we know about President Trump is that he keeps his loyal workers, family, friends real close. But his enemies are closer to him than a pacemaker is on a heart. He keeps them so close, they think they're his friends. Sometimes they'll even make them his friends. Sometimes they'll repent for being snakes, Mike Pence. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, what? It's like, you messed up. You're supposed to be, uh, that, that, let's just stop there. Let me not digress. So think. We've got over 60,000 sealed indictments across the nation, USA versus anybody. How is nothing happening? You see them getting rounded up every day, judges stepping down. More senators and congressmen not running for re-election. CEOs resigning, companies selling, blah, 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 blah. So much is going on. And yet, it's not even scratching the surface. And you feel like, oh my gosh, I can't breathe. They're just so connected. I mean, did you just say that Omi Klobuchar, you know, was selling arms and it's like a Fast and Furious, but the Ukraine edition? Yes, I did. Did you say that she is like connected with the pole, you know, pole ads and, 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 and the, the, the dad of the guy that works for her is actually the director of strategy for the Rothschilds? Yes, I did. Did you say that she has a empty office with like 20 companies in it, kind of like John Hoven does in Minot, North Dakota, and they, you know, Paid for $10 billion to a Navy contractor for stuff? Yeah. And did you tell me that the Pentagon is missing $10 billion too? Yes. So everyone's connected. Yes. How do you fix it? You get to the head that you can chop off. Remember with Hydra in the myth, seven heads, you chop one off, it regrew, and you're just chop, chop, chop. You have to get to the heart of it. Because if you keep chopping the heads, it's just going to regrow. Kind of like the weed simile. So how do you get to the heart of it? You follow the money. And we're almost there. This is why they're panicking. This is why they're hiding in basements. This is why they feel comfortable to spy. Uh, Robert Stork is why they feel comfortable, guys. They feel very comfortable on spying. How did Marie Yovanovitch get the ability to spy on Americans? Oh, wait. Didn't she work with Robert Stork? In the Ukraine? Oh, yeah, that's right. No one is paying attention. And, you know, I'm so glad the president pulled out, you know, that card and said, you know, all these pundits saying, no, 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 I didn't pull out. Exactly. Trust him. The man knows what he's doing because this has been planned. Because there's a lot of people in a lot of places that already know what's to come. And they're the ones that are trying to make sure that it comes to how it should be for the best of humanity. Hmm. Time traveling. Tori's telling you that. Right? <laughs> funny. It is funny. Because it's predictable. It's very easy to predict. Again, how and why was Marie Yovanovitch so emboldened 
to spy on these people. And that's only a few. (laughs) Ever have a hot phone? I mean, I did. Ever get audited by the IRS? And you're like, come on, man. I was broke then. Really? You're going to ask me, like, why I didn't make, uh, what are you trying to say? That I made more money when I didn't? Ever have that happen? Yeah. That's how they start. And you're just like, Man, you just want to know where I work and where I get my money from. You just want to know how much do I know about thy enemy. You just want to know how he built that thing in Scotland. You just want to know about the factories here. You just want to know about the cancer research. You just want to know about, you know, stuff. Right? Tulsi needs to understand that they know, too. Mm. That was just a hint because I know that many people understand the way I throw some information out there to tie into what we're discussing. Again, why do they feel comfortable on spying and still spying on the Trump administration and anyone around that sector? Why do they feel comfortable? Why did Marie Yovanovitch, how was she able to get it? I am telling you how she was able to get that warrant. Oh, no, not that warrant, but to be able to get that authorized information. Oh, are they going to tell us it was accidental over-collection? That's because... The IG of the NSA used to work with her in the Ukraine. Well, he used to work in the Ukraine when she came. (laughs) See, they're all connected. And like the president said, how do the Democrats stick together like that? Where are you, you freaking clowns? Together we stand, united. Wait, uh, yeah, united we fall, right? So they're all going to fall unitedly. What we need to do is understand that it's like a fascia. You know, the Italians called fascia like a bundle of wood. Fascia. And basically, if you take a twig, you can snap it. But if it's a bundle, you can't. We really need to stick together. We really need to make one uh, all the voices one voice. The people are on board, but unfortunately, the people that we have in office aren't. And the president told you, we've got a lot of these Republicans that are left over. I mean, Thornberry's walking away. Lindsey Graham better go, too. Because maybe we can expose his connections to Robert Stork. Maybe we could put together how Marie Yovanovitch got that application done so nicely. Maybe we could, you know, find out how things are going. I mean, now we've got whistleblowers that know where to go. See, we don't need the whistleblower pattern. We just need to be able to drop it in the right place so people can start talking about it. That's how whistleblowers operate now. You can't trust that they will do their job and protect you as a whistleblower. Makes you think, get out of here. If you even think there's a whistleblower, I'll tell you what. Schiff has been tapping everybody and their mother. I mean, he is an asset, right? Uh, trained, long time ago, farm guy. But, you know, he's working with Daniel Jones, who is the god of everything uh, CIA and intelligence. He's the one that while he was investigating, he was also being investigated. Ooh, the good guys need to know what they know. And the good guys say you shouldn't have this one document. Oh, it was about torture. No, it wasn't. It had names. It had people. Because you're never going to find They're buried in like random documents. That way, you know, and not a lot of people that operate 
know where their stuff is located. That's how good it is. Because the really good guys, the ones in the shining armor, (laughs) are always the ones that know what's to come. Because maybe they have a little bit of insight. You know, maybe they time travel. Maybe they're psychic. But they always know and they're able to put it together. We have to hat tip all these good guys that drop things for us, that support the president, that put things forward. Because without them, we'd be losing our mind, yes? We'd be losing our mind thinking nothing's happening. Yet we have 60,000 sealed indictments in states that usually never have sealed indictments. We have people getting rounded up all the time. And you see Adam Schiff is sweating. They're so sweating that they had no problem going to Jordan and literally offering a deal to the king of Jordan so that they can impeach Trump, saying, we'll give you the vote for this if you do this. And (laughs) they went to the Taliban to try to impeach the president. That is just how desperate they are. But it's not going to work. Stork, he's going to be coming to the surface. I'll see you guys tomorrow, same time, same place, 12 to 2 Eastern Time, only on Red State Talk Radio. On that note, God bless everyone and have a wonderful day. See you tomorrow.